3: Is backroom politics. And good afternoon out there on Radio Land. It's Tuesday, which means it is time for the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics Live on Block Talk Radio. We're getting closer to getting into the same room together. We're kind of all in the National Capital region right now. I'm your host and moderator, Justin Russell. Joining me as they do every Tuesday. He is a retired one star admiral from your United States Navy. He is a man we know as Admiral Ken Carradine. Admiral Ken, how are you? How are you doing, sir? Justin, how are you? Fine, Justin. I'm how are doing, you? Doing fantastic. And joining me from Northern Virginia, he is the former Under Secretary of Commerce who served at last count under four presidents. He is longtime Senate staffer, longtime Washington insider, and a very distinguished fellow at the. Stimson Center. He is a man we know as the Honorable Alan Moore. Hello, Alan.
2: Hey, all good here.
3: Great. Also on the line, joining us from the Big Apple, New York City, she is the attorney for the 2016 Hillary Clinton campaign in the Buckeye State of Ohio. She is the person we know as Sharmila Jari. Sharmila, how are you doing, ma'am? How are things in a snowy New York City?
1: Just waiting for the sun to come out here, Justin.
3: Yeah, good luck with that. Anyway,
1: we have
3: a lot to talk about. You know, we just, again, I said it last week and I say it again this week. We just cannot fit all there is to talk about in one two-hour show. But we're going to make a great attempt at it. Uh, All kinds of stuff going on. Let's start with continued chaos or is it crazy like a Fox time inside the Donald Trump administration? In case you don't know uh Last week, the President fired or he resigned. We'll get to that in a second. The Secretary of Veterans Affairs, and what was largely expected to come, but not a total surprise, it was the way it was done. Uh, Dr. Shulkin was released last week after a tweet was put out by the President. Uh, he was given apparently warning by... Chief of Staff John Kelly, but that seems to be debatable. At which time, Dr. Chilkin went on the offensive, uh, going on all the talking head shows, pleading his case and talking about the chaos inside the administration. Uh, it was immediately announced right after that that he would be replaced by uh, the White House physician, which uh, I gotta tell you something, that surprises me. Let's just start off with that, because that alone. Is a good way to start it off. We haven't gotten to Ken Pruitt yet, or any of the other issues bubbling today. But uh, Admiral us start with you. Um, you have you've been around the environment in VA. I know that you have uh, been talking to several people high up in that organization and associated with that uh, community. It, was Shulkin a bad fit? For that agency, or was it a matter of the president just really didn't know how to handle such a large bureaucratic organization?
4: Um, well, as I as I stated in the article um, that uh, that came out on our website and, and a couple of other outlets, um, I uh, I don't think Shulkin was up for the job. I think that many people were surprised that the president picked somebody from the previous administration. Um, somebody from, uh, out of leadership that had been placed there by the previous administration in charge at the veterans administration. Um, I think that when the president came in, um, a lot of people took him at his word, um, that he was going to be all about the vets. And, and, and I got to admit, as dubious as I was about a lot of things the president said, um, I was at least hopeful that this would be the one area that he would be true to his word and he would, you know, be about making some substantial changes. And I I, I was a little shocked as were a number of people when he picked the depth, the the person had been the deputy to step up and and lead the organization. Um, And that organization had 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 some challenges. Uh, It was under his, under his boss's watch and, and he shared some, um, in my opinion, some some responsibility in that of um, people were dying, uh, and literally dying in line waiting for uh, for, for, for health services. Um, so, uh, I don't think he was a good fit. Um, I don't think that uh, many people in in the uh, the current administration understand that not only is this one of the oldest organizations, governmental organizations in the country, it is the largest. And it is possibly the most uh, in need of modernization and an overhaul. And um, you know, when I was in uniform, I was never worried about the Veterans Administration because I was never going to (laughs) retire. That's the mindset. (laughs) (laughs) And and then, and then here I am. And and uh, and you know, so taking them, you know, uh, from the approach of being a a possible customer of the organization, I was displeased and being someone who's, who's had some interactions with, you know, some of the folks that are working over there. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm equally concerned that, you know, the, the right mindset, the right team of people, the right leadership has not been been in place. And and I will say this, um, you know, someone responded to the article uh, that I wrote last week on our website and with, you know, with the challenge that I was trying to position myself um, as, a, as a better candidate than, uh, than, than Admiral Jackson. Nothing could be further from the truth. I would tell you that I'm no more qualified for that job than he is. And um, as I pointed out in the article, there are basically two types of military uh, officers um, uh, in, our, in, our, in our force. There's, there's the line officers who are by and large the combat fighters and who get the lion's share of the leadership Uh, responsibilities, and there's the Staff Corps. And it's that way in every branch except for maybe the Marine Corps. And um, Admiral Jackson uh, has not held uh, um, any of the major medical commands like Bethesda. Uh, That's not on his rap sheet. And it's going to take someone who's got a clear understanding of how to run a large, very large bureaucracy, coastal bureaucracy, uh, to even have a have a snowball's chance of getting that place straightened out, and uh, I'm like many vets waiting for that to, that person to show up and, uh, and be appointed.
3: Admiral, uh, that, that's great perspective, Alan Moore. Admiral Ken brings up some really interesting points on the nomination of Admiral Jackson, the White House physician, to be the next Secretary of Veterans Affairs. Uh, this is a guy who. At most has commanded a team of maybe forty forty five This is a man who has never overseen much of a of a large scale budget uh you're talking about as White House physician maybe handling treatment of even on a big day a thousand people possibly versus you know millions upon millions of veterans is is the president looking more for, you know, somebody that he can commiserate with, or is he looking for somebody who can actually run the second largest bureaucracy in federal government?
2: I think that the president has little clue as to what it takes to run a very large organization. Um, He himself is, is president of the United States and clearly uh, was uh, was ill-equipped uh, in background experience, temperament, uh, and more, um, to uh, to run uh, to, to run the government. But he, you know, he has to run the White House operation, and he has to find good people and 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 delegate. Um, he he's not done well on any of those fronts. Um, so for but but what he does tend to lean towards when when he gets a shot at it is people he knows or people he feels that he knows, people who are talking heads on television who seem to make sense. He's, he, he's got a powerful attraction uh, to some of them. Here's a guy who he sees with regu- uh, with, with uh, regularity because uh, the, the White House physician, head of a very small team in the White House, uh, is around all the time and did a great job on the television <laughs> – describing the president Trump's uh, health uh, just a few months ago, obviously the president thought, good job. I like that guy. He looks good. He looks good on television. Let's get him uh, to to run uh, the VA. He's a, he's in the military. He's a doctor. What else does he need to know? But as Ken points out um, and as any of us who've been around here for a while, um, Running a large bureaucracy, is of federal government, is very complicated. Uh, This is he's got 260,000 employees scattered all over the country. All sorts of controversies, all sorts of issues on Capitol Hill, budget challenges, staffing challenges, um, operating issues, um, facilities. It, why this guy would want this job, I have
4: not a clue. But, you know, I but, suppose. Well, me, and Justin, Justin, go I'm pretty sure, just based on what we've seen uh, of the knowledge level of most of the people uh, that are in their president's inner circle, they probably don't know that Admiral Jackson, Dr. Admiral Jackson, is not the same thing, it's not the same as CNO. Um, or uh member other members of the joint chiefs of staff to them a person wearing stars is just like another person wearing stars and uh, you know to Alan's point well m- maybe they don't know but why in god's name would he want to step into that job um i i i don't know i don't get that
3: i mean sharma this this is what this is what confuses me oh, go ahead sharma if you had a comment go ahead
1: Well, I was just going to reply back to Admiral Ken, and uh, I think he is the one to correct me, but from what I've read, um, because Admiral Jackson is active duty military, I don't think that he's in a position to say no to a request from the commander-in-chief. I I don't think it's so much a matter of him wanting to take the job versus his president, and commander-in-chief asked him to take a job, and so he said yes. But again, I will defer to Admiral Ken if that's not.
4: Yeah, it it doesn't I mean, really work. It, it really doesn't work that way. And, and I mean, uh so the these are these are you have the same kind of uh complexities um that we saw when um uh, General Mattis was being considered for the SecDef job. Um so I mean these are heretofore uh, roles that have been occupied by civilians and um and that's going to require a congressional approval so it's not so much that he can order someone into that job and he does not have a choice as to whether he can walk away from it or not it's not like he's getting assigned to be ceo of a naval station of the naval hospital at bethesda that's a little different deal
3: alan i mean the, the, the obvious question here is does admiral jackson get confirmed
2: well, that's a real big question. Um, my hunch is that he does not. My hunch is that as, as this thing unfolds and Admiral Jackson himself begins to realize what is being talked about and how people are talking about him and how he's going to be challenged, um, it, not only in confirmation, but, but if, if, if he should ever get confirmed in the job. Uh, and, and what a massive departure that is from everything he's known and done for all of his professional career. Um, my guess is that he'll have some second thoughts. That uh, that people around the president like, and you wonder where they were they were when this decision was going down. Like General Kelly and General Mattis, both of whom uh, have have a real stake in a the administration working and in veterans. Um, what did they have to say? Were they consulted? They had—I mean, Kelly had to have been. You, you, please, please don't tell me he wasn't. And and uh, uh, oh, I think over time they'll start. They're going to get a lot of pushback from uh, Capitol Hill, and even the the kind of goodwill that you sometimes get right out of the box as a new president, and and you want to defer to a president, let him put his own people in. There, there's there's an expectation of a, a reasonable, some sort of defensible level of experience that that, that would suggest you could do the job. Um, and But I don't think you're going to see that in the middle of the second year. I think you're going to get an enormous amount of resistance from, uh, from the Democrats. It's hard for me to see any Democrats supporting it. And it's not that hard to see a handful of Republicans saying, this guy can't do this job, Mr. President. He's going to harm and, your presidency he's going to harm the 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 va you need to withdraw him and, and, and you love military guys great get a general who's 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 run uh, uh runs uh, or an admiral who's run something big right. not a guy who you love as your personal physician and,
4: right. and what a admiral, terrible Ken, Ken. What a ter- and what a terrible thing to do to admiral jackson i mean to subject him to what i think will be a a humiliating experience, you know, and and I said this in the article, you know, we've got different areas that you can, you can rise to, you know, to the top of the heap in this guy has put in no less than 30 years of of dedicated service um, and is wearing a second star, which you don't, you don't get uh, just because they quote, like you, unquote, I mean, this guy's worked his butt off to get there and he's, you know, he's, he's, he's sacrificed and he's, he's, he's put in for his country and you know, to to put him in a position like this, I think is a real disservice to him. I really do. And, and I'm and I'm and I'm sad. I'm, and I'm sad about that.
1: So so I don't disagree with Admiral Ken, but I think I I don't disagree with Ken, but I I do think it's interesting to see the reception and the reaction that uh, Admiral Jackson's nomination is getting versus the um, the nomination of Betsy DeVos, which was met with a lot more. You know, I think you could argue that maybe there equally unqualified for the positions they were nominated for, and the vitriol and sort of the immediate kind of partisan rancor that surrounded Bessie DeVos's nomination versus Admiral Jackson's nomination. I think you've seen um, you know, let like, uh, liberal and democratic groups and, you know, again, democratic senators act with a lot more caution and, you know, reserve a lot more judgment for Admiral Jackson. I submit, I, I now submit, I, I, I submit.
4: So I think I,
1: that, I mean, I, well, I can well, imagine well, that, the con- that the confirmation process is not going to be pleasant for him, but I think he's going to get a much more respectful treatment from both the left and the media. than. I, I,
4: I, I, I submit that the reason that you have not seen the pushback, um, um, of the like that we've seen with Betsy DeVos is because most people walking around these days don't understand that Admiral Jackson is not like uh, General General uh, General Kelly or General Mattis. They don't look. Get that. Nobody.
3: I mean, let's let's be real. Nobody. Nobody in Washington is going to take a swipe at. I mean, you know, I think we're all in agreement that Admiral Jackson although not the right guy to run the veterans administration is in fact, a truly good military officer. I think he's proven it. He's, you know, been successful as a medical doctor. Uh, he's worked in combat medicine. Uh, the man has been the, uh, president's physician for two presidents. There's no question about his dedication to this country and the service that he's offered is, is, something that we're never going to be able to repay that debt to him. However, I do agree that when we look at Admiral Jackson's nomination at VA, Ken, I will tell you, what surprises me is, you know, even though he's a two-star admiral, there is still a command cadre that he answers to. And what shocks me is that nobody in that command cadre has gotten him or even his friends in the flag corps. Has said, "Hey, you know what, Jack? Problem. This is not the right move. Don't do this to yourself because you're setting yourself up for failure. Why has that discussion happened?
4: Does that make?" I, I, I would, Jack- I, I, I would like to think that it has. I would like to think that um, because it's been relatively quiet on that front since since the, uh, the the day after the announcement, that maybe that's going on now. Um, I can tell you that, that, uh, at every, every move I got made that, that I made prior to, you know, actually putting on the stars and I was going to the first job as well as everything else after that, there was always a good amount of counsel, uh, from, um, my brothers and sisters, um, in the, uh, in the, in the, the same warfare designator. So I like to think that that's going on, that he, that he's leaning on those people. Um, and, and I'm hopeful that at some point, um, uh, common sense uh, on his part, uh, on, on, and if nothing else, um, just just a matter of self self preservation on his part, will uh, will emerge, and, and uh, this will be just a, another oddity that that will be aligned to the Trump administration in years to come. Right. I think Right. I've, I
2: mean,
3: let I well, well, let me
4: well,
2: add something there. There's, so, so I think one of the groups that, and I, I don't know if 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 they're out there yet, but but somebody who is going to have a voice in this is the veterans groups, and I'm I, I'm guessing that they're tearing out their hair trying to figure out what to say. They want to be loyal to the president. They want to be supportive of a president who has shown, you know, in in, in numerous ways a, a a willingness and a desire to be supportive of veterans, and and what they don't want to do is 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 say this guy's not qualified. Plus, they, they, they you probably love this guy. I mean, the big difference between a, a man like uh, like the admiral and somebody like Betsy DeVos is he's he's an admiral in, and a doctor and with over 30 years. So there's sort of some automatic respect that he gets, and people are going to be very respectful as they grill him. And presumably end up opposing him. With Betsy DeVos, she was a very wealthy uh, donor to the Republican Party who had, had done some uh, done some advocacy in the field of of school vouchers and uh, and a bunch of volunteer stuff. And she was a she was in a, a relatively easy target. She got she 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 got confirmed by a. You know, a unified Republican Party. I think, though, that it, it, the Republicans thought, hey, maybe she'll surprise us. She's not a total idiot. We didn't think. And how much harm can she do? She can move out. I think the problem with the VA is that people are going to think he's not the right person. He can do harm to the VA, to the president, and to Republicans. So, how do we move in a different direction here I, without? I can tell you without turning on the guy.
3: I can tell you right now that I've talked to several people inside the VSOs, the Veteran Service Organizations, and they are in conflict. You know, they uh, off the record, I've been or on background, I've been told that uh, they are really walking very delicately on this. Inside, they don't believe that. This is the right choice. Some have even told me that this is a recipe for disaster. He's being set up for failure. But what they can't do is they will not come out and go after a uh, a decorated two-star admiral in the United States Navy and make it a political swipe. This is this is a bad choice on so many levels. But Charla, this 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 is indicative of a going trend that we're seeing. Inside the White House. I've talked to several folks uh, inside the White House and they've told me that, one, there's no indication that they're making any maneuvers to replace Hope Hicks' comms director. That the president feels that the comms director job he can do because he's a comms genius. Uh, the Josh Bolton or the John – the ambassador John Bolton – issue was something that president trump made on his own without consulting anybody in the upper echelon of the white house are we starting to see a more i don't want to say the word is arrogant but a more uh totalitarian and more trump-like presidency coming down for a second year
1: well, yeah, I think Donald Trump is turning 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue into the Trump organization. He ran that as a one-man show. That's what he's comfortable doing, and that's what he's doing to the White House now. We've seen time and time again, he doesn't really care about protocols. He doesn't care about his institutions. He doesn't care about the chain of command unless he's at the top. Um, and he doesn't really care about governing or policy or doing or you know delivering on the promises that he made during his campaign. So this all seems like an like a vanity exercise for him. So if you look at in that if you look at it in that context, I think it makes perfect sense what he's doing, that he is slowly just becoming more and more insular and not trusting other people to make decisions, right? He believes that the core of his success, the fact that he, you know, has made all this money and now is president of the United States is due to the fact that he's always done his own thing and trusted his gut. And for the first year and a half of his presidency, he's been chafing at all the restraints placed on him. So now that, now that he's in office and he, you know, quote-unquote, understands the job a little better, you see that he's feeling a lot more emboldened to just run the White House and run the government the same way he ran his, his own company for all these years.
3: And we've got a caller right now. We'll go to the caller. Caller from the 254 area code you're on with Backroom Politics. What's your question? Hello, Caller. Well, we'll put him back on hold and see if he'll come back. Uh, Admiral Ken, you know, Charlotte brings up a good point when she says that, you know, he seems more emboldened. My question to you is, is in fact Donald Trump more emboldened, or is he becoming more comfortable in the presidency, or is this a sign that the pressure is getting to him and he's really scared – and he's going to do and act the way he knows as almost
4: a defensive measure. Well, I I I I got to tell you, I I I um I get anxious trying to put my head inside the put myself inside the head of Donald Trump. Um, <laughs> it 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 frightens me to even to even go down that road. Um, because I like to think of myself as a mostly a rational person, nine days out of 10, except when I'm having a cigar and a drink with you, Justin. Um, <laughs> So I'll say this. So you know, over the weekend when he was down in Mar-a-Lago, um, um, he uh, he had Sean Hannity there with him. Um, he had uh, the, the, the the two guys uh, Corey Lewandowski and I forget the other gentleman's name, who uh, who wrote the book "Let Trump Be Trump," um, and uh, the the wingnut that's in charge that's been leading his, his, uh, <laughs> his, his immigration policy, whose name Stephen Steve Miller. Miller. Stephen Miller, Stephen Miller. Uh, all, all there with him. So, uh, you know, one thing for sure, why he's doing it, you know, you know, what 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 analysis he's done of his current level of success. Um, even though he tried to put out, you know, the fake news that his approval ratings were were, were over 50%. Uh, why he's doing it, I I, I couldn't fathom. Um, but the problem, the, the challenge here now is that. The, the Trump that we have seen up until now uh, has is not the worst that he could be uh, he can he can he can do and say far things far far worse things um, and um, you know even and he's already shown it just in the last 24 to 48 hours you know we're seeing you know a glimmer of a uh, of a news uh, uh um story on fox news about a caravan and now he's basically saying that caravan had better stop uh at the border and and i guess you know being a guy who's always been looking to to have somebody knock the chip off my shoulder i have to say so what what are you going to do um yeah you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna see i think you know with 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 this new group around him uh i think one more uh relatively unstable behavior um more uh, behavior that is quote less presidential unquote. And um and I think quite frankly he's going to complete the act of destroying uh the the the, uh, the the Republican Party because near as I can tell nobody except for Lindsey Graham and John McCain are basically saying whoa whoa stop
3: well and speaking of unstable and emboldened behavior on the line with us, Dan Lipner Esquire. Daniel how you doing? <laughs>
0: I'm doing great, and you know, thanks to Sinclair media, I know that there's nothing but fake media out there telling fake news stories, so I appreciate all the work they're doing
3: <laughs> hey you know what Dan? I'm glad you joined us you know here's the question for you is 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 the emboldened new era of presidency that is donald trump can can Donald Trump as the individual sustain running his organization as both chief executive president, as White House chief of staff, because he's for all intents and purposes, from what we hear, pretty much sidelined John Kelly. John Kelly does not have nearly the influence that many had hoped or thought he could have, uh, and be the comms director for the White House. Is this sustainable for somebody like Donald Trump and successful?
0: It's not sustainable for anyone. It's hard. Uh, That said, I would argue that Donald Trump isn't so much his own comms director. He's outsourced that entirely to Fox uh, and not even the entire network. He seems to have outsourced it to simply Fox and Friends. Uh, So (laughs) that said, his approval rating might be over 50 percent amongst the Fox and Friends. That and I'm not talking about the 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 fan base. I'm talking about the three people who host the show daily.
5: So (laughs) you might have two of
0: them.
3: Well, you know, Alan Moore. At what point? Because apparently nobody can really talk sense or give counsel to this president. Uh, We saw that today, with the you know, with the what some are calling a disaster. Uh, presser inside the cabinet room where he was meeting with the heads of state of the three major baltic states talking about nato and he goes into bringing in the president of latvia saying hey tell me what you told me today about how many billions of dollars i'm saving you and how great i am it it seemed almost uncomfortable but this is normal practice for this president nobody seems to have the ear of the president to tell him look this is getting dangerous.
2: It, it, it is definitely clear that no one seems to be able to rein him in. Uh, what what what, several, what some people seem to do do seem to have the ability to do is to nudge him forward. And 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 as has been described, the the apparently the message that he was getting over the weekend in Florida from the likes of Sean Hannity and, and Stephen Miller and, and Lewandowski. These are all people who who had a had a powerful understanding or view of how it was that he got elected. The singular importance of this sort of nativist anti-immigrant trend that he tapped into and the and the constant refrain of build that wall and have Mexico pay for it. So what they were reportedly reminding him of was that his greatest vulnerability with his core supporters today is the failure to make any progress on the wall. And he therefore, and for that matter, the wall and for slowing down or controlling immigration, um, deporting people. So he decided, okay, I, I need to, beef up my message back to my base on those issues. And he just street, uh, he was tweeting like a madman, um, uh, saying ugly things, ugly things about, about immigrants, ugly things about people moving, uh, from, uh, from Central America across, uh, Mexico, uh, mostly from f- f- fleeing violence, uh, in Honduras and so- in El Salvador. Um, and and wanting to reassure the base that this stuff is still important to him and he's still uh, going to be Mr. Tough Guy. So in that instance, that group of people appeared to have some real influence on him. Now, having said that, nobody seems to have any influence on him, on what he says about the markets, on what he does with tariffs. I don't know whether it bothers him. That the, the stock market, which has surprised us by its robustness over the last year and a quarter, is now uh, off uh, more than 10%. The, high, the tech sector off almost 20%, it, not entirely due to him, but at least in the tech sector part, but significantly due to his reckless behavior and announcements regarding tariffs. On aluminum and steel, and then a whole host of products uh, from China, the markets now should be humming along in remarkably strong shape, something he was fortunate enough to inherit, and then uh, participate in a few actions that 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 helped it, some restraint of regulation and and the tax bill, whatever one thinks of it, was was gave a little buoyancy to the market. But, but it's as though he's throwing it all away. And, right. And Gary Cohn's gone. Um, I don't know what Larry Kudlow, who's coming in to replace Cohn, is saying. I don't know whether Kelly intervenes on this stuff. I don't know who he listens to. He's got this group of outside old friends. I can't imagine that they're saying right on, Mr. President,
4: kick their butts with more tariffs. But uh, you know what?
3: Just, At, Admiral Kent, no go ahead.
4: But Admiral you know, and while they're not, while while they're while they're 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 cheering him on, um, they apparently are only giving him you know pieces of information like like going back to, you know this 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 stand up against or I guess reinitiation reinitiation of his of his uh, immigration policy was saying that there's there's caravans of people coming here to take advantage of DACA. Well. You know, you have to have been here at least you know, like was it 2006, 2007 to even qualify for that. I mean, it, yeah, not, not even the, 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 the messaging is is accurate um, as he tries to reach out to his base. And the thing that I don't understand is why, where where is the Republican leadership? why are they letting him hang us out here like this? Because he looks foolish, he sounds foolish, and they look even worse for not saying something about it.
3: I mean Dan Lipner you know going back to that that weird uh kind of gaggle that was held inside the cabinet room today, the President made all kinds of really bold announcements uh about how great he was for Europe, how great he is for NATO, how the baltic you know the Balkan states he's surprised that they haven't built statues to him in town squares but the, the big one that came out today was the fact that he pretty much announced the militarization of the border that he is going to put DoD resources on the border to patrol and protect the border. Uh, the second that came out, I got tweets from people all over the capital region saying, hey, is this guy heard of anything like the Stafford Act? Or has he heard of anything like uh, Posse Comitatus? Or has he, is he aware of... The DoD cannot have law enforcement authority over foreign nationals because that, then, becomes an act of war. Dan Lipner, this guy's making this guy's writing checks that his, his his White House can't cash.
0: Um. Well, so it's actually kind of an interesting question because it's not necessarily police powers to using the military to lock down a border. Um, it's, it's an interesting legal question. I'm actually not, I, I don't know the answer to that. I, I suspect by tomorrow morning, we will see some, uh, significantly more learned lawyers than myself, uh, putting lots of research onto this, whether or not the president can do it. Um, I mean, I suppose if you wanted to say Mexico or insert other folks were invading America, uh, yeah, what's to say you can't use the military for that? Uh, but yeah, it's just a legal question. I don't have an answer for you. I think it's crazy. Let let me be clear and get on the record there for myself. As far as the the law behind it, uh, I'm I'm just not certain. Uh,
3: Alan Warren, I mean that this has got to have oversight committees just kind of scrambling to figure out which way's up on that one.
2: Yeah, and I, I'm with Dan here. I, I'm not sure what uh, uh, what boundaries he he might be crossing. I don't know what General Mattis is, is being told and what he's communicating back to both General Kelly and the president. Um, it, it it does seem that he may be flailing around. You never know with this president whether he gets a little bit of advice, picks up a grain or two of information. And runs with it, or just, or doesn't even bother. Um, but, but uh, if if <laughs> if he's talking about a major deployment, uh, and he's also dropped this notion of maybe letting letting the DOD pay for the wall out of its budget, uh, before you know it, um, any any excitement over the increased uh, defense uh, uh, appropriations um, is just going to go by the by and and uh, will be uh, spending huge resources uh, down along the border, which is not what uh, – he can't just move money around. So it, this would all take further legislation, but, but uh, it, it's p- particularly bizarre on the heels of the big spending bill that he was so pleased about and patting himself on the back over for the increase in defense spending that he now appears uh, willing to divert huge resources, huge elements of, of defense. Uh, to the To the southern border, uh, which was not, which was not planned and part it's of right. the, the the plan.
3: And and Sharma, you know what 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 should scare a lot of people in government right now is that when you know there's an election coming up in Mexico. Not only do we have the midterms coming up, uh, but we also have a, a major presidential election in Mexico this year. And the numbers I'm seeing out of Mexico City, President uh, Peña Nieto doesn't really have a chance of reelection. That there's a for, there's a leftist candidate that is 14 points ahead, and there's a big chance that a leftist surge inside the Mexican uh, inside the Mexican Congress, the Mexican legislature could see big gains. Should that scare not only our administration, but Americans as a whole?
1: Well, I think it should certainly scare our administration. I mean, obviously the president does not really understand diplomacy. Otherwise, he would understand that his rhetoric about Mexico for the last three years has is now you know paying dividends by the Mexican people being incredibly anti-Trump. And so I think, unfortunately, you know, uh, President Peña Nieto gains a little bit in the polls when he stands up to Trump, but I think he's largely been viewed as someone who's, um, who's been weak and who hasn't stood up to Trump sufficiently. And so now they're looking to a leftist candidate who they think is going to stand up to Trump, who they see as a bully and someone who denigrates their country, and, you know somewhat rightly so. So I think, yes, the administration should be scared because all of these things that Donald Trump has claiming that he's going to destroy NAFTA and renegotiate it to get this better deal for the U.S. and, you know, that he's going to force Mexico to pay for all these costs about increasing border security, none of that is going to happen if he has a more antagonistic government uh, to deal with in Mexico. So to the extent that he can understand the consequences of his actions, which I am not convinced he does, not convinced in the slightest, but to the extent he can understand how one thing fits with, an, with another? Yes, he should be certainly scared. I think the American people have less to be scared about. Um, Lopez Obrador, who's the candidate, uh, the leftist candidate, is is pretty pro NAFTA. So I think that you know, to the extent he is elected, the status quo may you know may stay in place, which is a good thing for for the U.S., especially for a lot of agricultural workers. Right, NAFTA. <sighs> having NAFTA stay in place is going to be much better for them than the alternative.
3: Right. But we've, we've heard this song before Dan Lipner, where we've heard that a, you know, a, the leftist candidate who isn't totally leftist, he's just slightly left of center and he's pro national oil company, wants pro free trade, wants to give just, you know, wants to stand up for the little people and represent their interests and the next thing we know is we have Hugo Chavez in Venezuela. It, 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 there probably isn't much of a chance that Mexico could go the way of Venezuela, but is it completely out of the possibility? Um,
0: I, I suspect the answer is yes, but I don't. I, I would have to go further down the road of knowing more detail about. The, comparing the Venezuelan economy to the Mexican economy, and that said, I don't, I don't know how much of a manufacturing base Venezuela had before they became the vast oil exporter they did, which is part of part of what made Venezuela uh, a player for a while. And once oil prices plummeted, lo and behold, a the the uh, the state-run industry. Uh, Suddenly began to flail when money started drying up for everything else. So, I mean, it's a lot more complicated than just saying this will lead to that. You have you have to compare apples to apples, and I just I, I can't speak authoritatively on one economy compared to the other.
3: Alan Moore, is is that not a consideration, or is 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 that something is that something that making an enemy. At the highest levels in Mexican government, the one thing we don't need is an enemy south of our border.
2: Well, so it's certainly true we we, we don't need an enemy on our border. Uh, the The Mexico economy and the Venezuelan economy are extremely different things um, and and uh, Venezuela was all about the oil. Um, Mexico's got oil, Mexico has got the other natural resources. Mexico's got a huge manufacturing base that's, that's on our southern border. Um, and and one, of, one, of the re- one of the reasons that a lot of Mexicans don't come north is because of NAFTA and the, and the uh, factories that were set up uh, within 50 miles of the southern border where Mexicans can stay in Mexico and have decent jobs and have a house and a family and some level of of uh, security um and all, all of that of course is, is is critical part of uh the 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 economy of mexico which also has a has a huge uh, tourist component um although there's been increasing violence both in the on the West Coast and even in the uh, the East Coast, the Cancun and, and South area, where increasing warnings from the State Department uh, are going out about being particularly cautious about going there. So they've, they've got a number of areas of vulnerability, but the, the, the two economies and the two governments are very, very different.
3: Yeah. Well, uh, last, last point on the White House issue, going back to, Uh, The turmoil at 1600 Pennsylvania is is uh, EPA Administrator Pruitt is his job in trouble and is he being uh, is he just a victim of being associated with Trump or is there some legitimacy to uh, the claims that are out there against him Alan Moore start with you.
2: Yeah, he's in some deep trouble. He's he's my he's my candidate for the next cabinet member to go. Um, it, it, the irony is, he's actually a fairly smart guy who who did a a better than expected job <laughs> of explaining some of the very controversial scalebacks and regulations that that were occurring at the EPA. That, that's not to to defend them, but but he's he's a he's a guy who could who could explain what he was trying to do a lot better than. Uh, than, than some of the, uh, the the cabinet members that are out there. Having said that, early on he began to to make these stumbles um, uh, in terms of decisions about uh, airplane flights, use of first class. Um, apparently, it was reported this week that the, that they seriously considered uh, leasing uh, a jet airplane for him and decided they better not do that. Um, it didn't take geniuses to figure that out because that decision was, came right on the heels of former HHS Secretary Price having to step aside for using charter planes, and this would be right. like a full-time full-time charter. And then over the last week, it's come out that he had a had a really unusual sweetheart uh, arrangement for six months for living in D.C in an apartment uh, in, in a bedroom of a of an otherwise empty uh, townhouse near Capitol Hill. Right. That he paid for $50 a night only when, only when uh, he happened to use, uh, use that. So that was a highly unusual sweetheart deal with some people who, yeah, uh, a woman me, a, who, who's married to somebody in. with interest before EPA. And one, right. one last thing that came out just in the last few days is he, he asked for a White House permission to give pay raises to two of his uh, senior people and the White House looked at them and looked at the budgets and what their criteria are. He said, Nope, can't let you do that. Sorry. And uh, then he discovered that he had authority under a law passed in the late 1990s uh, dealing with water resources that, that gave him the ability to hire some people under his own authority. Largely the, this was intended to hire scientific experts to do water-related work, get him in fast, get him on the payroll and, and, and pay them. we had a fair amount of flexibility. So he took these two political operatives who he, who, who he got turned down by the White House uh, on and hired them under this other authority. He has, he has accumulated now enough uh, uh, stupid points um, that I think he's in significant uh, uh jeopardy notwithstanding the fact that he, he is doing what some of what president trump said he was going to do whether one likes it or not it's it's there it's an so, irony but well, let he's me go to pretty effective in that regard but it but let, personal let behavior to, may uh, may may bring him down
3: well let me go to Sharmila here real quick cuz sharma i want to ask you the the story that's coming out about this sweetheart disappearance sweetheart deal uh that uh, scott pruitt got For the $50 a night and this condo owned by the uh, energy lobbyist's wife. Apparently, the front office and the chief of staff for Scott Pruitt at EPA went to their ethics council and asked them, Does this violate any sort of government ethics rules? And the ethics council came back and said, No, there's, you know, as long as he's paying for it. And he can show the transaction. there's, there's, there's nothing violating uh, government ethics rules that would prevent him from doing that. And yet he's still getting thrown under the bus. Is, is, is this just are, are we just piling on a wounded animal right now? Is this even fair, or did he get bad counsel from a bad legal team?
1: Yeah, I mean, I am highly suspect of any team that would say, "Oh yes, this arrangement is completely of board," and perhaps it is legally, but that they wouldn't caveat that with, "But it looks really, 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 really bad." So, you know, so take take so proceed with caution. I cannot imagine a competent legal team would have said, "Oh yeah, check mark, go go right ahead." I mean, right. Even if this is not blatant corruption, it's one of those situations where it's really like if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it just – it appears so um, corrupt and so not arm's length on its face that I think it's it's hard to overcome that perception. And unfortunately, yes, maybe he's getting railroaded a little bit, but politics is about perception. And right, he that when, right. When he took the job.
0: Right. Well, uh, I disagree think- with Sharmila. Uh, the- Oh, go the, ahead. The, if, you make Damn, enough, if, if you make enough enemies, if you make enough enemies in the building, well, I definitely think this. It's hard for me to believe that this isn't uh, doesn't violate uh, government ethics uh, criteria. He, he may have left off the uh, the little bit about uh, the interest before EPA. However, the it just being under the line as far as as not violating ethics. But and this is to Sharmila's point. It seemingly, obviously, is is going to look really bad. If you make enemies in the building, those ethics folks aren't necessarily going to go that extra step and go. By the way, have you thought what this is going to look like when it sees the light of day? You are in a public office, so yeah, it could have been one of those things. Go hang yourself. I'll, I'll give you, will give you the facts, and you do with you do with what you will good point.
3: Hey, uh we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, uh the stock market's been up and down and up and down like a bad roller coaster. Tech stocks are taking a hit, a beating not only on the markets but in the court of public opinion and even here on the uh even here in the uh in the uh, national capital region, Congress is calling for Mark Zuckerberg. It, it there's a lot going on in the tech world between the fight with Amazon and the controversy around Facebook. We're going to talk a little bit about that when we come back. This is Backroom Politics Live on Blog Talk Radio from the National Capital Region in Washington, D.C. We'll be back in three minutes. Stay with us. (laughs) the second hour of the best political talk show you've never heard of. This is Backroom Politics Live from the National Capital Region, Washington, D.C., joining me as they do every Tuesday. Sharm Lachari from New York City here in Washington, Admiral Ken Carradine, the Honorable Alan Moore, and Daniel Lipner, Esquire. Hey, uh, let's talk a little bit about the, the really hard week that's been going on between the tech stocks and two tech giants Uh, namely the big one that we didn't get to last week that seems to have just really continued to snowball almost out of control is this issue with Facebook. For those who don't know, uh, as a result of several investigations going on, including an undercover investigation by uh, ITV Channel 4 in London, England, it came out that in fact uh, – and the organization known as Cambridge Analytic, which is based in London, has offices here in the United States, which was providing data to the Trump campaign, had in fact exploited and used a tremendous amount of uh, usage and, and uh, individual data. To supply that to the Trump campaign For their use Uh, It is still an investigation That's continuing It is a uh, PR nightmare For Mark Zuckerberg And his team out there in Silicon Valley But it brings up Bigger questions Including using the big R word Which is regulation Should this be regulated Like almost a utility Um, Dan Limner I'm going to start with you you know, we, we've heard the fallout and we've seen the stock prices drop, but is the free fall over for Facebook and other social media giants?
0: Um, that's to be seen. It's hard for me to uh, believe that Facebook's going to, to just vanish off the face of the earth and they're going to have to do a whole lot of uh, cleanup work uh, along the way. A few years back, I don't know if folks know the history of the iPhone uh, and actually the somewhat comical uh, battle between Facebook and Apple. Uh, but when the iPhone first came out, it basically lifted all of your data and uh, shared it with Apple. So uh, the uh, CEO of Apple coming, for, coming forth and saying, you know, we take our customers' privacy seriously uh, is – only after that they got their own uh, smackdown when this came out, and people were kind of shocked that their data was being shared. Much to th- their surprise, uh, with the uh, the big Big Apple data, but that has since changed. Um, and Apple, it, while different from Facebook, having a few pieces of hardware that uh, re- changed the market. Facebook is simply uh, a huge data machine and with no hardware backing, so they most certainly have to take a different bent to rectify things, at least in Western countries that uh, have r- respect for privacy issues. Um, but, yeah, they're going to have, ha- have some, some work ahead of them. The bigger thing is, and my little opening joke about Sinclair Broadcasting and uh, their uh, all-station editorial statement, uh, there could be some connection here. And seeing how this plays forward in a uh, 1984 sense of whether or not regulation comes in with corporations and corporate media controlling things, there's there's a certain synergy here that if it comes together correctly – Really could lead to uh,
3: regulation and breakups, but we'll see what happens. Alan Moore, does it sound like that there's a a case to be made that regulating these types of social media companies like a utility uh, is is that is that outside the playbook right now, or is that something very real that could happen in the next couple of years? Alan Moore. Can you hear me? Oh, oh there we go. Yep. Yep. You broke up oh, there for okay. a second. I'm
2: sorry. So yeah, so there's a there's a couple of phrases here. Regulating like a utility is uh is a loaded way to put the question. Dan talked about regulating and breaking up, a different kind of loaded question. There's also just regulating. Not necessarily like a utility where you're where where you're taking a look at, at pricing. And price increases and things like that that we uh, in, in sometimes regions um, and then breaking up is a whole different concept. I think I think what what you what we will see, and Mark Zuckerberg has even said, you know, perhaps we do need some regulation, um, is some rules of the road that uh, that will give people who are now nervous some assurance that 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 data about their own Personal use of, in this case, Facebook, its platform, uh, the the uh, uh, the the links that 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 people tap into as they're as they're on Facebook, um, uh, will be will be regulated. Will there be some controls on that, or some increasing easy ability for a person to opt out of having any of that information? Uh, shared or used having right. said that um uh it, this <laughs> i'm intrigued and, and in some ways amused by by this uh uh apple versus facebook battle tim cook decided to wade in here and basically take what looked to me a bit like a bit of a holier than thou line saying oh my gosh you know i, I we, we would we have a lot of information about our people but we would never do anything like that and and Zuckerberg, to his credit, said, hey, we are trying to make a service that 2 billion people are now part of available at no cost, no out-of-pocket cost, for poor people. The only way you can do that is if you create a revenue stream, and that has to do with advertising, and, and we got to right. be very careful how we do that, but, but that's what we're trying to do. It's uh, – <laughs> He, what he didn't say is, when is when is Apple going to start giving away iPhones to the, to the poor? Um, right. It's two
3: completely we're charging different
2: animals that do that, that, that do different things. The 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 Facebook people got very careless and, and 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 allowed some things to happen. They weren't they were they weren't dutiful about it. Even I think when some warnings began to emerge, they didn't j- jump right in and say, "Wait." The Russians are doing what? The Russians were doing what? What Cambridge Analytica was doing? Cambridge Analytica, of course, turned out that we, we don't want the Russians to do it, but we don't want American companies to do it either—to take advantage right. of information that will that will target particularly right. receptive individuals with messages that right. may well be untrue and sure, provocative. Sure we'll, um, right, some, and sure we'll, and.
3: Let me go to yeah. Sharma real quick. Sharma, I want to ask you, it, it's, it, is there an irony here that we see like everybody wants the free and open internet, the net neutrality crowd, are the same ones screaming about the privacy issue with Facebook? Is, is there a hypocrisy in that argument?
1: Well, I think that net neutrality and, and privacy are... Two separate issues, right? I, I think that perhaps the the crowds that are cheering them are are the same, but I don't think that there is hypocrisy in saying that you want a kind of unbiased internet versus saying, you know, I think that that uh, well, companies that hold significant amounts of our PII should be responsible with it and shouldn't be selling it to third party providers. That being said, I fancy myself a bit of a liberal a libertarian, I'll coin that phrase on the show today, um, because I, I find myself agreeing with Mark Zuckerberg's arguments that, you know, Facebook, yes, it's become used as a public utility, but it was never created or intended that way. Everyone's use of Facebook is strictly voluntary. And I, you know, I was, not to brag, I was one of the first users of Facebook back in 2004 when it just started at a few colleges, and even then, all of us said, hmm, This site is completely free for us to use, assuming, you know, back then everything was free. There was no added functionality that you paid for. And we can see people and, you know, post photos and do all this cool stuff. Like, how do they make money? They've got to be selling our data somehow. They've got to be scamming us on the back end. So I think that, you know, the premise that Facebook – that your data is not secure on Facebook – has always been baked into the cake a little bit. So I do think it's a little ridiculous that people now are getting so outraged that Facebook, of all places, hasn't kept their data secure.
3: Well, and Admiral Ken, that, that brings up a really good point here, is because, you know, again, I go back to the, the question I asked Sharmila is you have this net neutrality crowd that wants uh, a free, unbiased Internet, and again, I highlight the word free.
1: They want a free <laughs> – Uncre- free doesn't mean free as in no money. It means free as in no restrictions by government and no corporate or government third parties influencing influencing search results and influencing the way that news is presented and that the that news and content is presented. So I think it's important so to understand
0: sure we're, mix, we're, we're, mix, we're, we're mixing and matching there's phrases more to, here. There's more to it than
2: that. It, yes.
0: The, How the, so? The, the net, 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 neutrality is, net neutrality is about the pipe. So meaning that the people who control the pipe, whether or not it's an over-air pipe or literally the wires that come in and out of your homes and in and out of your businesses, if you look at them the same as you look at highways, that every car on the highway is allowed to go at, as the those cars or trucks on the highway that – Somehow, somebody does not pay a special fee. Therefore, they get to go on an express lane, and that express lane gets treated differently. That's net neutrality. It is a very different creature from what we were talking about for the privacy issues on Facebook. Mm
5: -hmm. Both arguments
0: have real merit and all sides of them, but we are mixing and matching the argument rather horrifically here. Mm -hmm. So let's try and keep this
4: balanced. So... You had yeah, a question, Go ahead, Admiral Justin.
3: Ken. Go ahead, Admiral Ken. So, go
4: so, ahead. So, I as I, I will I will label myself a Luddite in that um, I, I withdrew from Facebook uh, the year I became an admiral in the Navy, and the main reason for that is because I was uncomfortable with the level of security of of the information that uh, that was on it uh, on Facebook about me. What I have found interesting. Is that I am surrounded by people, both family and friends, who are uh, just absolutely, uh, um, um, you know, just complete, complete Facebook junkies. And uh, and I think Charmler brings out a very good point. Is that one, it is free, and if you did not process the thought that your information was going to be used somehow. Because as far as I know, Facebook never quote guaranteed to anyone in writing that their information would not be used somehow. Then they should not be surprised um, that um, that uh, Cambridge Analytica, as well as the Russians, I know. Oh, by the way, the Iranians have been out on Facebook and LinkedIn for quite some time now. Don't so don't think that that's a safe place either. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I think w- when we talk about regulation um, is is in my mind, Facebook reminds me of, uh, of, of a newspaper that has a very, 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 very large, uh, large audience. And in the case of the Russians, um, they put out information on, on, the, on the Facebook channels that was not validated. So in, in my mind, if, 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 if Mark Zuckerberg uh, and his board do anything uh, without there being federal uh, intervention is to put some sort of editorial staff in place to start making sure that some things are checked, that some, some background information are checked, especially uh, on the, on the, on the stories that are the more inflammatory, uh, the ones that get people turning out in the streets, holding up signs and throwing rocks and stones at cops. I I really think that, that if they do nothing else, some sort of editorial layer needs to go in place. Now, that being said, then you gotta worry about freedom of speech, so forth and so on. This is not a simple problem. And you know, as as, as I as I step and step back and I take a look at the whole social media conundrum, the fact of the matter is it's only going to get worse before it gets better. Um, you know, and, and it, it and it requires that the people who use it uh exercise some level of discipline as to what they're gonna put out. Because as of right now uh, I suspect most people don't really understand that when you put information out there and you link to folks, you're not only telling people everything about you, but you're also telling them a lot about the people that you know and have connected with. And that's that's big. It's huge because it's one thing for you to give up your freedom, but it's another thing for you to basically offer up somebody else's.
3: Has anybody, has anybody uh, around the table downloaded their privacy report from Facebook yet? Wow, that's surprising. No. I would have thought you. <laughs> I, rest, I rest
4: my. I rest my case.
3: I, I, I wow, Ken, so, I couldn't have done so, that any better if I tried.
0: So let me chime in here that the, the, the there's an in between part of this, and as Americans, we are notorious for not doing anything until the problem is horrific, and then we respond and frequently over respond i suspect there's going to be a bit of an over response at some point and the question is how and this is going to be from all sides by the way uh principally on the 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 radical center are the folks who uh have been most disengaged it's the the right and the left that uh paranoia about everyone else that tends to be concerned about privacy the, the, the radical middle is now going to begin to get involved, and some crazy stuff is going to come from that. The question is what? Uh, Europe already has a right to be forgotten, so you can scrub your, your personal data from everyone, so, which is kind of a, an, an interesting idea. And for uh, all the college kids in Europe who have done stupid things and posted stupid pictures, uh, online and hope that they would get destroyed. Uh, they at least had a had something at least in law that suggested they might have a chance when they're in their mid 40s of having that you know horrific kegger party uh, picture vanish. Uh, whereas in this country, we've been hands off, and that right to be forgotten concept. Who knows? Maybe that day will have come, and it seems to be well not not easy to accomplish in Europe, it, it at least exists and has created some level of comfort as far as big data and people's interaction with these kind of systems. We could go a far more radical route, which is kind of scary for everyone, in which case that it, government officers become end up stationed in the Facebook headquarters to make sure that they are monitoring things and there could be world of abuse that could occur on that end, or to Sharmila's point, the idea that this free, free – I, I don't want to call it utility because there is no necessity in Facebook. But this free service that is provided uh, by, by uh, the Facebook folks, that it, it can be regulated out of existence because the profitability just vanishes and nobody wants to pony up the cash along the way. There are a lot of choices here, and obviously the choice of also doing nothing is out there as well. People can flail about and nothing can happen, and people will just complain about it. That's also a possibility. But which choice and which route we go down is the question. And I I doubt we're going to be in the all or nothing category, but it's to be seen what actually happens.
4: Well, Let the record so, show that
2: Dan rendered
4: Justin speechless. <laughs> so what? 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 I, I guess the, the thing that I am concerned about is is just that Dan, and, and, and uh and that's the fact that um uh, we have a tendency to overreact um uh when something pops up and it's almost, it, it's the chicken little the skies falling. And a whole bunch of regulations in pl- go in place go into place, and then we spend years putting them back um you know I, I and i i think if if anybody you know it's my impression that 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 members of the Republican party right now are are deaf uh and and uh, and, and stupid and quiet on this and um and not gonna say anything uh you know wh- what do you think the chances are of you know of the more liberal sides of, of Congress basically? screaming long and loud on this.
0: Well, that's the question of a combination of how, how informed people are. And there aren't many people who understand this. And the, I mean, just our, our, our bouncing between privacy and net neutrality conversation uh, is is part of that. So there's a, a, The technology is still the man behind the curtain. Most people don't have the slightest idea how any of it works. So balancing all of that is part of it. Like the, the education portion is a thing because it's not something you can reach out and hold. The data is no longer a file uh, that, you know, the you know classic J. Edgar Hoover files that were shredded at his death. That's not what it is. It's kind of out, just kind of out there. And there's a lot of it. So, I mean, if people knew exactly how much data is collected just on their cell phones alone, that for their, their GPSs that they use all the time, all that data is also collected and utilized. The question is how? I would argue that a responsible law or a series of laws would be to limit how that data is used, say right? that it can be used. In certain manners, but not other manners. And what that is, I, I, I'm not willing to say off the top of my head. But there, there are limits you can, put, you can put out there. And that most Americans, that radical middle would, would find reasonable. The question is, while they're in a tizzy, whether or not reasonable is the answer or overreaction is the answer. And there's going to be a debate about this. It, and none of it's easy, so How, I don't have the answer. But there are a lot more questions and a whole lot more education that needs to come along the way.
4: So, so some number of uh, I want to say it's almost two years ago we had the whole Edward Snowden uh, uh, outing of the um, of the intelligence services uh, taking call data um, and using that to you know to go after after terrorists. Charmaine, do, do you think there's any kind of Correlation between that, um, that you know, I guess alleged breach of privacy uh, by the phone company and the government, um, and, and uh, what's going on with Facebook.
1: So sorry, Ken, can you can you repeat that that analogy?
4: I, I said some about two years ago. We we dealt with Edward Snowden outing the uh, the intelligence services mm-hmm. using using phone records uh, to go after terrorists. Um, And I was asking, you know, what your thoughts might be, you know, with regard to uh, how this stacks up against uh, the situation with with, uh, Facebook stacks up against that.
1: Well, I think it's utterly different, right? Because Facebook is a private company. So to the extent that the government was using. I'm sorry.
0: So is Verizon.
1: Right. But the. But in that case, the government was compelling these phone companies to provide this data so that they could, you know, that they could surveil these, these terrorism suspects. In this instance, Facebook is selling your data to a pr- another private company. No one's being compelled here. This is just selling of data to a private third party is using it for nefarious means. I think, that they're, I, I think it's apples and oranges, to be honest.
2: Well, I, yeah, I think it's apples and oranges, though, because the, the Facebook – is by its nature um, publicly uh, communicated, group communicated information that's out there for, for uh, a cluster of people to, to see. Telephone conversations are typically one-to-one conversations where there is implied assumed privacy, and that was the, 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 the concern, the violation, as we've already discussed. I think with, with regard to Facebook, there is an acknowledgement when you participate uh, the thing that caused Ken to stop using it, and that Sharmila is so accurately portrayed is this sense that 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 you post information, you receive information you 're not sure what happens to it, but you know it's not private you know that you cannot you you don't have that privacy assumption that was what was violated no, no, you're, you're, w- with, with regard to no no to...
5: Also...
0: No, no, no no but uh, you 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 you've already overstated it. So one of the items for Facebook, and one of, and if you caught the reporting, it's come out, and it's true that if you want to try to put, put a dampener on Facebook and privacy is to delete it from your phone. If you, if you think Facebook is the only company pulling data off your phone, you got, you got another thing coming from it. So as I, as I mentioned, the, the, the GPS stuff on your phone where you're using Google Maps I have a strong suspicion that data is used for other things as well. Google is making money off of that. They are selling it. The nefarious purposes that can be gleaned from almost any piece of data, if you have enough of it, is entirely possible. So the idea that the, the privacy thing, I, as far as I'm concerned, what I'm asking Google for directions to, to McDonald's, that's a private conversation between me and my phone. That is not, in fact, what it is. But people's concept of that information matters. This is this is part of the rabbit hole that really needs to be dealt with when talking about this issue. It's not easy.
3: Dan, are you are you suggesting I that? I think I think Dan's completely uh, right. Well, let me ask this question, Dan. Are you suggesting that? Um, there's almost a naivete in not just the American culture, but in the, in the broader social media culture that says – I mean, are we, are, we, are we ignorant or are we just putting our heads in the sand basically when it comes to privacy and what happens in that private discussion in the cell phones?
0: I, I think you've already – well, social media, you, you're, you are literally giving some additional information on top of everything. The, the amount of data collection on a zillion different things is huge. I mean, l- let's just go with something simple as the convenience of the new easy passes that take pictures of your license plates when you're going in and out of DC. And by the way, you don't necessarily need an easy pass anymore. All of that d- data can be utilized unless there is a regulation saying that the companies that have been outsourced to actually manage these kind of things cannot use this data for other purposes or sell it for other purposes the answer is it can be utilized for other purposes the real question is who owns it now one of these it, going down that road i have argued and this was an issue way back when i was in law school is defining that it actually that that your information actually has a value so you actually get skin in the game that for every penny that somebody makes off of you you get one-tenth of a penny, even though the, the, the metric is probably way off. Your, your, each individual bit of data is probably worth significantly less. But you getting a cut of the action would at least suggest that you have skin in the game and so people can, can consciously opt in. So, yeah, companies can make money off of you as long as you get a piece of it as well. But if you choose out, you get out on all fronts, and they can't make any money off of you either. That's a concept that I believe, if you also want to put the marketplace involved, could actually allow it to play out. But at the moment, the value is unclear. You have no idea what you're worth, and this stuff is being traded blindly in dark rooms, and you have this idea what's happening to any of it.
2: Well, what Dan is suggesting also is in the alternative if it's if it's hard to know what the value is of this this information that's floating around out there, you could basically wipe every app off your phone, and then, if you want to use Google Maps pay for you could you could download Google Maps and every time you used it, you could pay a nickel or a dime or some pay for this stuff and and there might be an arrangement by which you could be guaranteed, assured, uh, uh, with penalty of, of the federal government or a state and local government – of a state government coming in and, and enforcing it so that your information could never be used, but you have to pay every time you use one of these services. I'm not saying right. it would be easy to do Actually, that. Actually, you, you to wouldn't sort of government. The, the... If government.
0: If, if it has value to you, it would be a, it would be a tort. It would be theft. You could actually sue for the value, and then you could have class actions at play if you actually assign that you actually own the value of your information. So you wouldn't actually need government regulation. The private sector and, and courts could take care of it.
3: Sharmila, do you agree?
1: Yeah, I agree with Jan. I think that it makes perfect sense that if you – that that if you – want to keep your data private currently you're getting a service for free in in sort of the maybe unknowing exchange that the company is extracting something from value for something of value from you even if they're just bundling and aggregating your data it's still they are still extracting something from you on the back end and i think if you want to make that transition more that transaction more upfront and put a cost to it i think that makes perfect sense
3: and uh, by the way uh just want to talk uh, breaking news coming out of silicon valley Um, apparently there is, there has been a active shooter at the YouTube headquarters in San Bruno, California, which is just outside of San Jose, California, a female active shooter apparently, uh, has died by suicide. There's no other details coming in, but, one dead just outside of YouTube headquarters in San Bruno, California. Uh, we'll update you as soon as we get more information on that. Uh, another tragic, senseless piece of gun violence. But, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll just continue to put our head in the sand on that. Anyway, I digress. Hey, I, I do want to take a quick break. When we come back in, in, in 30 seconds... I want to talk about this situation with Amazon. This Amazon situation is heating up, and it is incredibly interesting and could be uh, a real division in the Republican Party. This is Backroom Politics. We'll be back in three minutes. Stay with us. This is Backroom Politics live on blog talk radio we'll be back in a few minutes stay with us heard of is back from politics live from washington dc on the phone with me is admiral ken caroline the honorable alan moore dan lipner and Sharmila achari hey i wanted to uh jump in real quick and talk since we're talking tech we couldn't go any further without talking about the situation between the heated fight between the white house and amazon uh the The president has come out on a tear against Jeff Bezos and his company Amazon, accusing them of just pillaging the U.S. Postal Service for their own personal and financial gains to uh, calling the Washington Post, which is owned by Jeff Bezos, not by Amazon, but calling it – saying in a tweet over the weekend – It should be a registered lobbying organization because all it is is a lobbying organization for Amazon. Uh, There have been, even as late as today, this afternoon, again, Donald Trump coming out with the fact that uh, it's not fair to the American people that Amazon is paying less than the general American public for package delivery and that Amazon is getting rich off the backs of the American taxpayer. Um, first of all, it strikes me as being odd that somebody who's supposed to be pro-American initiative, pro-American ingenuity, and pro-American uh, business, somebody like Donald Trump is literally coming out and hammering one of the biggest and one of the biggest success stories in American economy in a while. Alan Moore, why does how does this make sense in Trump world and is – is there some legitimacy to what the president's talking about on Twitter?
2: So, <laughs> this is another one of those kind of head shaking things. He, he, it's pretty clear that he's jealous that Jeff Bezos, uh, at least uh, before he, the president, was able to talk down the value of his stock, which is a kind of a horrifying notion. Bezos was apparently the richest guy in the world, and and that that really got under. The president's skin. Um, The president apparently, for some time, has going back some years, um, uh, was was aware that internet internet selling was often uh, untaxed, meaning no sales tax was collected, um, and that it really was an unlevel playing field vis-a-vis brick and so-called brick-and-mortar retailers. That problem has, by and large, uh, not by and large, to a significant degree, uh, has has been fixed, particularly for companies like Amazon. If Amazon actually fulfills the order from its own warehouses, it follows the tax laws, the, the, the sales tax laws, in the jurisdiction that it where it delivers the product. The problem, though, is, and I haven't seen much conversation about this, and I don't know that the president is even aware of this. Who knows? He tends not to be a detail guy. Um, uh and he gets the big picture wrong plenty enough forget the details um but but about two thirds of amazon deliveries are they're just the delivery platform for for third parties so it's not amazon fulfillment um it's amazon slapping its name on it and and uh, providing some of the operational uh infrastructure. To, to do deliveries but the taxing question is left to these third parties so a lot of them do collect and some of them presumably don't uh, uh, collect so there there may be an, a, a question there worthy of having a look that's not the way the president's discussing it or talking about it he's just saying that it's all evil with regard but, to the postal service with regard to the post so but with regard to the postal service where he says they're getting a sweetheart deal amazon pays, the, what, what the U.S. Postal Service charges. I've seen different analyses of whether they actually whether this is one of the few areas of profitabil- profitability for the Postal Service. It's certainly the one growth area, um, as, as as snail mail, if you will, has has largely disappeared uh, from the face of the earth. Um, but then I've also seen a, a, an analysis uh, just in recent days that says that that uh, the the actual cost. Uh, is is about a hundred. Uh, I'm sorry, about a dollar and forty cents more than the government charges Amazon. Now, I don't know that that's true, but you have a you have a special board, uh, a, a U.S. Postal Service Rate Commission, that looks at these things and sets rates. Um, and uh, unfortunately, <laughs> they're short these days. They don't have enough commissioners to actually sit and and, and make decisions. So Amazon doesn't get special treatment it pays what 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 the going rate is and there's a debate about whether it's uh it ends up being subsidized or not it should not be subsidized but it's not Amazon's fault if it's if it says what's the rate for high volume users here it is we'll pay it if it's a dollar more than that per package we'll pay it um the, the notion of the president going out publicly pounding um one particular company in particular, because he doesn't like the Washington post, which Jeff Bezos happens to own personally or Bezos himself, because he's so extremely wealthy really is frightening. It, it is, it, it speaks to autocratic behavior that is not part of the uh, American tradition for good reasons. Um, and uh and if it's not illegal, it should be. It, it, it's a dangerous but, matter for this right. president to so personally attack individuals or companies. Um, it's not the first time he's gone after individuals, and it's ugly right. every time. And this is another case where, where billions of dollars of market value have, have, have fallen off of, uh, of Amazon's uh, uh, market capitalization. Uh, and And done at least on paper financial harm to millions of people,
3: yeah, but admiral Ken in another example of the president kind of twisting facts or not wanting to deal in reality uh Amazon, when it does utilize the postal service, has the same benefits as anybody else. There is a special bulk rate that you get when you when you ship. X amount of of packages through the U.S. Postal Service. That's always been the case, but yet Trump makes it look like that Bezos took advantage of the postmaster general and cut some mega sweetheart deal. Uh, is, is this really something that can really play with the base in Trump world?
4: Well, again... Um... Uh, being being very afraid, you know, to try and get inside the head of a of a of a member of the Trump base, because um, that that frightens me almost as much as getting inside the president's head. Uh, I think the thing that that I find interesting um, is that you know here's the president who basically marketed himself as a deal maker. I can make deals better than every, I can make deals better than anybody. All the deals that all of, all of, all the former presidents have made were just bad deals because they know what they were doing. Well, Amazon made a deal with the postal service, you know, and um, you know, they, 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 they signed their name on contracts. They they made a deal and that's where this needs to end. I, I remember there at one point, our party, Justin, our party, you know, came out loud and long against Obamacare because we didn't want the federal government to be in the uh, in the position of picking winners and losers in the marketplace. And what is President Trump doing? That's what he's doing. He's basically causing uh, the stock uh, that makes up my uh, retirement portfolio to be impacted because he's PO'd with Jeff Bezos. That's not right. And and Alan's correct. If it's not illegal, it should be. It's wrong. And 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 again where is where is the republican party leadership they're sitting quietly watching all this go by
3: so alan moore at some point there's going to be a winner and loser who's the winner in this fight between amazon and the white house
2: i'm sorry between amazon and
3: and the white house
2: i i i think that that you know the president wins uh, a battle here or there but eventually um uh, amazon is, is got a, a kind of a winning model a, win, a winning formula uh it's 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 not clear what the president's going to achieve if 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 it turns out that amazon should be paying on average uh, another dollar or so uh, per per package shipped so be it um, and and that's not the president. I, I can tell you the president doesn't know the answer to that. Um, and uh, uh, that's why I say you have a, post, a, a Postal Rate Commission that is is, is is supposed to be in charge of making those sorts of calculations. There's no reason that the Postal Service should be subsidizing Amazon. I have no complaint with that. What I don't know is whether that, in fact, is is what's happening. If it is what's happening, then that's pretty darn embarrassing for the postal service, not for Amazon. They're paying what <laughs> what they've agreed to pay, and I think what they've agreed to pay is what other big shippers pay. If it's a different one, if it's a different deal that they worked out, so be it. Um, then go renegotiate it. But 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 uh, uh, it, it, it's it, it's just so fundamentally wrong what the president's doing. Amazon is going to do what Amazon does, and it's still going to be very successful if it turns out that it has to pay more for shipping. Uh, FedEx, I mean, you've got a couple of other national shippers. They don't go to every household, and they tend not to deliver on Sundays, which, surprise, surprise, the Postal Service now does in many jurisdictions because of one thing, Amazon. Amazon has brought Sunday service back to a lot of cities simply because the volume is so great. Um, it, it's just a strange – makes you kind of want to go take a shower when you see uh, what, what the president is trying to do to to, to Jeff Bezos, to the Washington Post, and, and, and to Amazon. And there's all this collateral damage that he doesn't seem to, to either recognize or care about. And it's it, it's a it's a scary I mean, does
3: thing. he does he stop at does he stop at Amazon? Does he go on and take on eBay, Wayfair, uh, any of the other internet, you know, behemoth, uh, non-brick-and-mortar shopping mechanisms?
2: Well, I don't know if he goes after individual companies. What you'd think he'd want to do is go to the Congress He's and doing say, it "Okay, now. how much." Well, how much Internet sales is escaping local sales tax? How do we fix that? That's not a brand-new issue that's been around for 10 years or more. And and increasingly, the you know, the Congress was reluctant at first to mess with, with these new so-called startups, um, but then pretty much bought into the notion, no, no, that's just wrong. It's not fair. It's wrong. Um, and uh, uh, we can't keep dying brick-and-mortar firms uh, alive, but we can we can preserve some level of fairness here, and we're not going to we're not going to screw the states out of money that that they had every reason to ex- expect would come to them on on retail sales. Um, but you do that through legislation and through uh, tweaking of, of of current laws and rules. If Amazon uh, needs to take some responsibility for all of these third-party sellers that it, that it operate under its umbrella. So be it. Then let's go address that. But let's not let's not throw out these wild, or let's not tweet out these wild charges of inappropriate, wrong, immoral, illegal. You pick your you pick your adjective behavior. It it's just re, really a a dangerous game. That's not unique to this. We see it in foreign affairs. We see it in politics. We see it in his con his 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 uh comments about foreign leaders, um about his own cabinet members, it's just another variation. Uh this one happens to have a lot of collateral damage for at the moment owners of Amazon stock. And it's not just Jeff right. Bezos.
0: Right.
3: Uh, Hey, I want to talk about another another subject here, because, you know, obviously the Amazon versus White House fight is going to continue, at least for the next few days, at least that we see. But uh, I want to talk about real quickly uh, the escalating tensions between Washington and Moscow. Uh, Last week, in response to the uh, alleged, we have to say alleged because it's never been proven in a British court, uh, but the alleged... Uh, Attempted assassination on a former Soviet spy or former Russian spy In northern England And his daughter apparently Took a big Diplomatic turn when uh, Over Over 20 countries Expelled Russian diplomats From their jurisdiction Including America including the United States Which Which which, uh, Discharged I believe it was, how many was it, Alan, 40?
2: The Russian... How many Russian diplomats, diplomats that we we get? Get? No, it was yeah. 60. Plus 60. family members, so I, it was like over 100 and, uh, 160 people.
3: And we shut down the consulate in Seattle, the Russian consulate in Seattle, which was a big operation for the Russian government. Uh, at the same time, in re, in response to that, the Russian government uh, dispatched out of the country 60 U.S. diplomats. And even at its U.S. embassy, at the Russian embassy Twitter handle, they even asked, hey, which U.S. consulate should we shut down and made it kind of a a Facebook poll, which I thought was kind of amusing. So the question now is, at the same time, we keep hearing about President Trump uh, calling Putin and congratulating him on his election and after he was told by staff not to. Uh, today, during the discussion with the Baltic leaders, he said, no, has been tougher on Russia than him. Uh, Admiral Ken, and, and then on top of the fact that we also saw the, uh, you know, we also saw that the Kremlin put out video regarding their new hypersonic intercontinental ballistic missile, and it was rolled out in a manner that would make Darth Vader envious of the Death Star. Uh, This is a really odd situation. Are we seeing a new Cold War escalation rapidly ascend, or is this just saber-rattling and Putin's just laughing all the way to the international community? As as an international leader in the world community,
4: uh, I don't think it's either. Um,
3: really?
4: Uh, I, no, I don't. I, one, I don't think it's going to go too far because I think Donald Trump owes Vladimir Putin a whole bunch of money, uh, and I think it's I think it's theater, and um, and and I, I I would love to be wrong on that, but I don't think I am. Um, I you know w- you know one of the things that that I you know I. Unfortunately, get pulled into these conversations, you know, off off air too, and you know, there's 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 in, over here in Alexandria. One evening, there was mounting fear that Vladimir Putin wants to burn up the world. Well, if you've seen, if you've read anything, if you've seen even Fareed Zakaria's uh, uh, um, report on Vladimir Putin, you know that it's not Jeff Bezos who's the richest man in the world; it's Vladimir Putin. And and this guy has no interest in seeing the world blow up because he's partying like a rock star, like a Russian rock star. So, uh, again, I, I I think this is theater. I think if we're still talking about this, uh, 15 days from now, uh, I'll be surprised. Uh, but, uh, I don't think this is a new cold war at all. And, um, and I think, you know, uh, kicking out, you know, you know, 60 plus Russians, um, you know, doesn't make a dent in uh, in in their budget, and uh, and it sure as hell uh, doesn't uh, doesn't really impact us that much. So what big deal? Moving on,
3: it, Alan Moore, do you agree that th- this isn't a cold war? This is
2: just a big kabuki dance. No, I I I mean, I don't know the 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 larger big time enhanced cold war uh, uh, implications, but. But to me, it's not insignificant when you when you go back and forth and toss uh, sixty people or, or so, cause, because it takes a long time for both of both countries to build up the human assets in, in these countries, um, and uh, we are going to be forced to, to to take home a bunch of guys and women who knew quite a bit. Um, and we were we were relying on their experience over time,
4: and they still is do. It,
2: is it is it is it crippling? Nah, but but it it's uh it it, it it let's hope it stops right where it is. Both sides, you know, we kind of acknowledge that they've got people gathering in intelligence and, and and trying to figure out what's going on in in America. We got people that are that are doing the same thing in Russia, particularly in. In Saint Petersburg, which they shut down, that was a much more important to us uh, consulate than uh, Seattle was for the Russians. But, but th- th- you you run the risk of this stuff uh, escalating, and it's pretty bizarre. You got a president who's pat himself on the back for congratulating uh, Putin on his election, and then and then uh, apparently talking to him about, "Come to America, come to the White House, let's uh, let's talk," and talking about that. Uh, and then in the meantime. <laughs> comes back and is persuaded that he's got to show some toughness. So he says, okay, let's, uh, what, are, what are the options? And decides to, to throw out whether it's 50 or 60. Um, uh, it, it, it's, uh, it's a haphazard way of doing things. And the, 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 what you really need to do in these cases um, is work with our allies, not just the UK in this case, where, which was the target of this poisoning, but with with our European allies as well you want to move together and sometimes sanctions are better than kicking people out um, they they're more painful we, we, we know that in the past um, the the Russians have chafed under some of these sanctions um, and and uh, uh, and you can do that in combination with with your allies because when when it's pretty clear that the Russians have used a very high-tech weapon this this poison um, than then uh, then anybody that is dealing with uh, with Russia uh, is exposed and uh, this is not your everyday kind of poison i'm going to well, check out i've got to go to another thing now you guys but uh, uh, well I'll, alan, I'll, we I'll, pre- I'll leave it to you
4: to sort it out well, well
3: we appreciate it alan and thanks for joining us as always So Alan
4: Alan makes my point. If if we were really serious about dealing the Russians uh, a blow uh, to truly escalate tensions, uh, the sanctions that Congress passed last year would immediately go into effect. We'd come up with a whole new dose of them. Sixty people and their families. I'm sorry, no big deal. I mean the the military the military the. uh, the, the logistics command out of Scott Air Force Base moves uh, moves. That's a fraction of the folks they move every day. So what? Big deal. If you really really want to hurt the Russians, you, you start throwing you th- you start throwing sanctions at them. And we're not doing that.
3: Is, is, it, is it a matter of Trump enjoys the saber rattling more so than listening to his advisors and and putting into place actual things that could. Take Putin and the Russian government down a notch?
4: Uh, are you asking me that? Yeah, uh, I I I don't know that he enjoys it. I think it's safe. You know, if 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 my 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 supposition is in place that 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 that, that the president that that uh, Vladimir Putin has got something on the president, this is a very very cheap and easy way of of not offending offending uh Putin. It's no big deal. Well,
3: that makes sense. That makes sense. Hey, uh one one last item here, uh Admiral Ken, which I, I we've got to touch on uh, and I feel bad we, we, we didn't get further into it is um, the issue on, on uh China visiting North Korea. We'll probably look a lot further in detail about that as the weeks to come but apparently kim jong-un made his first international diplomatic travel last week in a secret train ride to beijing where he met with chinese premier Xi Jinping. uh is is this a sign that uh china's finally coming around that they're talking some sense into kim jong Un, and is kim jong-un listening
4: In my opinion, th- this follows um, this follows the, the pattern of the North Koreans um, right down the letter, with the exception of uh, the U.S. basically agreeing to give them what they've been after for – after the United States for, for at least uh, uh, four presidents. Um, they make a lot of noise. They make a lot of noise. They chill out, um, and they turn on the charm offensive. Uh, they get some sanctions relieved. Uh, they get the world's hopes up that they're going to start behaving like a responsible international neighbor, and then uh, then they go back to their their, uh, their 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 previous behavior. Again, the big difference here is that you know the North Koreans have wanted a sit down with the U.S. as far as I can remember since Clinton, and they didn't get it. And nor have they gotten it up until now. And for whatever reason, why this president thinks that he can sit down with the North Koreans, um, you know, with no 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 preconditions in place, shows that that uh, he was not listening to people like Rex Tillerson uh, or anybody else up until now. So I, I don't, you know, again, I, this is this is this is unique in that um, Kim Jong Un left the country. But you know, if you go and you take a look at the pictures and the the the, the uh, and some of the uh, the press that are covering it, it's part of the it's part of their their uh, their charm offensive that they do every 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 three or four years or so.
3: Very very good. Well, you know, the, the great thing about it is uh, we've got about six minutes left in the show right now, Admiral. And joining us on the line right now, she does at this time every week, is our associate producer and intern extraordinaire. She is Audrey Howerton. Audrey, how are you this week?
6: I'm good, guys. How are you?
3: All right. Doing fantastic. Audrey, uh, it's your time of the week where you get to announce who won last week's Deadpool. First, let's go over who everybody picked last week.
6: So last week, we had Ken with Ben Carson. Sharmila picked Dan LeGain, Justin, you had Ty Cobb. And Alan Moore won by picking... VA uh, Administrator Shulkin.
3: Oh, okay. That wasn't really a hard one to pick. Um, So what we're going to do today is we're going to pick – I'm going to pick for Dan Lipner. You can pick for uh, Sharmila Achari. And, uh, Audrey, we're going to let you pick for Alan Moore this week. So uh, start with Admiral Ken. Admiral Ken, you're going to get first pick. Who do you think the next one to go this week is out of the administration? <laughs>
4: uh, um, uh gosh. I'm gonna say uh General Kelly. Really? Yep. Interesting. Everybody's, wow. everybody's thinking about everybody's thinking about the uh the the, the uh the the, the the cabinet member the secretary whose name has gone completely out of my head just now.
3: Uh, and, you, and, you mean the EPA you mean the e- EPA administrator?
4: Yes. And, and uh Scott but Pruitt. uh Scott Pruitt. So I think I think I think that um uh with the the, the bringing aboard of John Bolton uh the closing of the ties with the uh, the the the, uh, the original uh Trump three musketeers uh I think you know General Kelly uh God bless him he's done uh, he's done good work for his country But I think his time in the White House is almost over, especially if Trump's Trump's basically floating the idea of being his own chief of staff. So that tells me that General Kelly's not far out.
3: Audrey, you get to pick for Alan Moore. Who do you pick?
6: Oh, um, we'll go with Ben Carson. Keep him in the loop.
3: Wow. Nobody. OK, I am going to. All right. You know, what? I'll go with the easy one. I'm going to pick uh, Ken Pruitt. Or uh, Scott Pruitt, rather, the administrator at EPA. I'll pick. I'll I'll go for the easy. I'll go for the layup. That's easy. Uh, I am now going to pick for Dan Lipner, and I'm going to pick for Dan by proxy, uh, Secretary of Interior Ryan Zinke. Admiral Ken, you get the last pick for Sharmila. Who are you going to pick? He's looking on the internet. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
3: Actually, I was looking for the
4: mute button. <laughs> oh, there you go.
3: Yeah, we Betsy, heard you type. Bet- go ahead.
4: Betsy DeVos needs to go, man. She she's okay. an awful embarrassment. She needs to go. I mean, okay. Uh, so
3: you're you're picking Betsy DeVos for Sharmila Achari?
4: Yeah, I know Sharmila were here. Uh, you know, she wanna she wanna you know make a point of not not letting the ladies be safe from the Deadpool. So I'll I'll put De- <laughs> Betsy DeVos. <in> there. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
3: done and done. Uh, we obviously will post this on our Facebook and our Twitter post, uh, which uh, Audrey has done a great job of uh, getting that going. Uh, but with that, with uh, two minutes left on the show, uh, Audrey, how are you enjoying your experience here in Washington?
6: It is a crazy time to be here in D.C. for sure. Nothing nothing stays the same from Monday to Tuesday, nonetheless Monday to Friday, so it's quite the experience. Okay,
3: okay, <laughs> very good. Uh, well, with that, we're coming to the end of another edition of the Best Political Talk Show You've Never Heard of. This has been Backroom Politics Live from the National Capital Region in Washington, D.C. and Northern Virginia-ish. Uh, on behalf of Admiral Ken Carradine, Audrey Howerton, the uh, wonderful legal mind of Sharmila Achari and Dan Lipner, and of course the Honorable Alan Moore, I'm your host and moderator, Justin Russell. We will be back next week live from Washington, D.C. Uh, hopefully, we'll be all in one room together. We're getting close. And you can always follow us on our Twitter page or Twitter handle uh, at Backroom Politics. You can also follow us. On Facebook at Backroom Politics Radio, uh, you can also follow us at our new newly designed website, which is www.blogtalk. Um, bleh, www.backroompolitics.com, and you can always uh, email me your comments and thoughts, uh, Justin at backroompolitics.org. Uh, listen, everybody, have a great week. We'll see you next week, and uh, come on, don't let me down. Scott Pruitt, I'm going to win the death pool this year. Have a great week, everybody. Bye-bye. This is Backroom Politics
0: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by loss. See
4: terms and conditions 18 plus.
1: Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax.